Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. If you would, please turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13 today. The topic is false teachers, signs, and persecutions. So as you can imagine, this is going to be a doozy. If you're new to River Bible Church and this is your first time, welcome. We pray we don't scare you off today by today's message. Uh, if you need a Bible, by the way, uh, we got Bibles in the back there. Uh, that's our gift to you. As you turn there, let me review from last Sunday. Jesus taught us about the consequences of false teachers, and we're going to see Jesus continue that theme today. A false teacher is someone who is teaching something that is misleading. It's untrue. It's unorthodox. And we learned several key points from last Sunday. Number one, we learned how church history has shown us that the more flamboyant a preacher dresses and the more theatrical his sermons are, the less he has to say. Jesus himself said, these guys, these scribes and these Pharisees, they put on a show. And that's exactly what it is. It's not a service. It's not reverence. It's a show. Jesus called these men hypocrites. He actually calls them whitewashed tombs in Matthew chapter 23. They look good on the outside. They look real good on the outside, but they are dead on the inside. Their words, they offer no life and no hope to anyone who's listening. We also learned when it comes to abuse, the most tragic is spiritual abuse. Make no doubt about it, false teachers, they abuse people. Jesus gave us a living example of a of spiritual abuse as well. He pointed, he pointed out a poor widow giving all of her money into a religious system that already took everything from her. And this kind of greed is why spiritual abuse is so demonic. Not only for, I mean, not only will the false teachers take everything that you have for themselves, but they will also lead you down a very wide road to a very real place called hell because of their theology. Next, we discuss some of our own ecclesiology here at River Bible Church. I wanted to, to share with you why I do some of the things that I do from the pulpit each week, week in and week out. And then lastly, I gave you five things to be on the lookout for false teachers peddling a false gospel. And uh, we're gonna continue to press into that today. So that's all a review from last week. Um, if you happen to miss that sermon, we do have the sermons online uh, for your review. So today we're going to dive into really one of the most difficult, this is one of the most challenging chapters in the Gospel of Mark. This is a tough sermon. This is tough to listen to the very words of Jesus today. You know, when we started the Gospel of Mark about a year and a half ago, we discussed how this Gospel really is Peter's Gospel. The writer Mark was Peter's disciple. 
and he wrote down what Peter said. Peter, obviously, the firsthand witness, that's where Mark got his, his information, but can't you see, over the past year and a half, Peter's personality through Mark's gospel? Mark's gospel is full of action. Mark says, immediately, 102 times in this gospel, immediately the spirit drove Jesus, immediately they dropped their nets, immediately the leprosy left him, and on and on and on, 102 times. Well, today, today's text, it's full of action, but it's, it's full of future action. So for the next month or so, we're going to be d discussing eschatology. Eschatology, the study of the end times. This is where a lot of cheesy Christian movies are made. <laughs> bad flicks, good message, very bad special effects. Eschatology, it's a big subject. You know, it includes many things. It's difficult to understand. This is a weighty subject today. It includes death and the afterlife and judgment. It includes the apocalypse, the millennium, heaven and hell, and Jesus' second coming. So it's big. Today's text is known as the Olivet Discourse. The name comes from the place where Jesus gives this teaching. It's called the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives. It's a mountain that grows olives. Seriously. Mount of Olives. It's the, it's the hill that faces Jerusalem. And if this place sounds familiar, it's because it's mentioned in Scripture many, many times, including where Jesus is at the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, that's also located on the mountain. The Olivet Discourse, it's sometimes known as the Synoptic Apocalypse. Synoptic, it, it means similar because Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are similar. Um, but it also, those three Gospels also give us a synopsis of what happened. So each... Each writer had a different theme, he had a different audience, and when you put the stories together, you get the, the, the fuller picture. Apocalyptic, it means the complete destruction of the world as we know it. So the synoptic apocalypse. The Olivet Discourse, this is the longest, this is the most crucial teaching um, about the future in the synoptic gospels. So in today's teaching, Jesus is gonna show us two things. He's going to show us, number one, the future destruction of the temple, and number two, he's going to prepare his disciples for persecution. And the reason that Mark chapter 13 really is one of the most challenging passage, passages in Mark's gospel is because of the prophetic language and the apocalyptic imagery that Jesus uses here. So all of that to say this, I know some of you love eschatology. <laughs> Some of you love it. And some of you don't give a rip just as long as Jesus comes back quickly. Right? Amen. All right. Doesn't matter what camp you fall into, guys. Today's text, it's a hard text, but it truly is applicable for, for us today. Uh, how so? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word. Mark chapter 13 and following, as he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, teacher, look, what massive stones, what impressive buildings. And Jesus said, 
Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. But while he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, across from the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, they asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus told them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must take place, but it is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of the birth pains. But you, you be on guard. They, they're gonna hand you over to the local courts and you will be flogged in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings, all because of me as a witness to them. And it is necessary that the, the gospel be preached to all the nations. So when they arrest you and they hand you over, don't worry beforehand what you're going to say, but say whatever is given to you at that time, for it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by everyone because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. <coughs> and that is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Father in heaven, may you teach us about false teachers today and all of these signs and the persecution. Lord, this is a really difficult text to teach and to preach. And I pray, Lord God, that you would use this mouth of clay to do so. Lord, I, uh, I don't think it's a coincidence at all that we're talking about wars and rumors of wars today as, as we want to pray for our Afghani brothers and sisters and the tragedy that is, continues to happen uh, across the world. Lord, we lift them up to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Please have a seat. Let's take a deeper look here at verse 1. So as he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, look, what massive stones, what impressive buildings. Notice here that Jesus is leaving the temple for good. Jesus has warned the temple leaders for three years now, and now he's leaving for the very last time. And we see here, a, a disciple says, Jesus, look at these massive stones. Look at these impressive buildings. How cool is all this? This is amazing. Many people believe that this was probably Peter speaking here. But if I had to guess, I would say Judas. I would say Judas. Judas was the one who was overcome by the thought of wealth and power. This particular temple had been under construction for almost 50 years. This was King Herod the Great's temple. King Herod the Great, obviously, he's a humble man. 
Herod doubled the size of King Solomon's temple. This thing was ginormous. Some of the stones in the temple were five stories high, and they weighed more than one million pounds. The temple was considered one of the great wonders of the Roman world. It looked like a mountain of gold from a distance because its exterior, much of it, was plated with gold and silver. The temple was so massive. Just picture 12 football fields placed together. That's how big it was. Verse 2. And Jesus says, really? You guys see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another. All of this is going to be thrown down. So when Jesus made this statement, you can bet that all the, all the disciples, they were stunned. Jesus prophesied the destruction of this temple. He didn't predict it. He promised it. And it happened 40 years later. The only thing left from Herod's temple today is a, a small part. It's called the Western Wall. Spiritually, the temple is the very heart of Judaism in the first century. So practically, it baffled the 12 that this massive, this magnificent structure could be destroyed. I kind of thought about that. It's kind of the, you know, the whole idea that maybe the Titanic couldn't sink either. This thing is so massive, there's no way. Verse two, he says, do you see these great buildings? Jesus says, do you really see them? Take a good hard look, guys. I want you to, to to perceive. I want you to have discernment when you look at these buildings. Are you guys really grasping the reality of what's getting ready to happen? Jesus is saying, I want you to look through the size. I want you to look through the, be the beauty of it. Because earlier we learned that Jesus said the temple had become a fruitless fig tree. So just like the false teachers that we talked about last week, the temple had become all image and no substance. Jesus continues here in verse two. He says, not one stone will be left upon another. All of it will be thrown down. So Jesus prophesies how thorough the destruction of the temple is going to be. Uh, he was correct. The Romans completely destroyed it. They first broke apart the stones to get the gold out. of And then they set it on fire. And after the fire, the Romans then leveled the temple to the ground. Thus, Jesus says, all will be thrown down. Verse 3, while Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives across from the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, they asked him privately. So make a note here, between verses 2 and 3, the location shifts. Evidently, Jesus makes his announcement in, in verse 2 about the temple being destroyed, and he just keeps walking. Mark doesn't record what the disciples said, probably because they were in shock and were speechless. <laughs> so Jesus keeps walking. He leads the 12 up the Mount of Olives. He wants them to chew on what he, what he just said and the reality that this temple, it is soon going to be destroyed. So in verse 3, Jesus is now on the Mount, and the inner circle of his disciples, they come to him privately. Now, the location of where Jesus is is crucial. The Mount of Olives. This is the same place where Jesus began his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus' journey uh, began on Monday at Bethany. Bethany is a tiny village uh, at the top of the Mount of Olives. The Bethany is where 
Mary and Martha and Lazarus live. Jerusalem sits 300 feet below the Mount of Olives. And I'm in the weeds here for a reason because there's really a, a very special significance to all of this. It points us back to the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. God gave Ezekiel a vision. At that time, Jerusalem is being destroyed by Babylon. Why? Because of their rebellion. They would not listen. So God's glory leaves the temple. So in that vision, Ezekiel, he sees the glory of God rise from the temple and leave. It's now an empty building. And what the glory of God does is it moves up the mount and it hovers and sits at the Mount of Olives. And that's exactly where Jesus is right now. And this is where he's going to teach the disciples this very, very tough passage. Uh, the location of this conversation, it is not an accident. So Jesus says in verse four, while the disciples say, they say, tell us, Jesus, what are these things going to happen? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? So the disciples, they're clearly shaken. They want to know the specifics. And the reason that they're so disturbed is because the temple, it's the center of their universe. It's been their whole life. So they ask two questions. They say, when? And they say, what? Now pause. Does that sound familiar to you personally? Don't you guys ask those kind of questions when you pray? Why do we want to know when things are going to happen? How many times have you prayed a prayer? God, give me a sign. <laughs> give me a sign. Give me a sign if I should marry the girl. Give me a sign if I should say yes to the boy. Give me a sign if I should take this job. And then all of a sudden, we start telling God what to do in our prayers, don't we? We act like Gideon. He's going to lay a fleece down. If you don't know that story, it's pretty entertaining. Judges chapter 6, verse 36. Why do we do this? Because we're all control freaks. That was a great spot for an amen. 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 Y'all act like I'm the only control freak in the room. So wrong. Seriously, at the end of the day, we want to know the details and the timing of what God is doing in our life. And the disciples, they're no different. They were concerned that because they connected the destruction of the temple to the end of the world. So naturally, the disciples, they want a sign here. They want some insider information. That's what they want. Um, they want to know for sure when the destruction of the temple is going to happen so that they could prepare for the end of the world. The problem, though, is that they thought that the Messiah is only coming one time. Since Jesus is sitting there right in front of them, that's what they're focused on. But the reality is that God the Father has revealed in his word, he has revealed now through, through his son that the Messiah comes twice. The first visit, Jesus came as a suffering servant. Jesus' first coming, it was to serve, it was to redeem mankind um, as the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. What the disciples didn't know, though, is that Jesus is going to come back a second time as a conquering king. And um, we're living in between those two times. They had no idea. We had no idea. It would take 2,000 years plus 
as we're waiting. So verse five, Jesus told them, he says, watch out that no one deceives you. Jesus's first words from last week to the disciples was beware, beware. And here we see it again, brings us to key point number one. Notice here, Jesus doesn't give the disciples what they want. He gives them what they need. Jesus doesn't give the disciples what they want. He gives them what they need. And the same principle holds true for us today. So back to verse five, he says, watch out that no one deceives you. Watch out, guys. As a disciple, you have a responsibility to avoid being deceived. Jesus's priority here was to alert and to caution his disciples about the deception that's coming. Now pause. Have you guys noticed that when false teachers, they, are, they always come out of the woodwork when you start talking about the end times? Yep. When things start to happen big in the news, right? Two things on this. Number one, we have dozens of false prophets today all over the internet who prophesied the, the presidential election incorrectly. Number two, none of these so-called prophets said anything about COVID. A worldwide virus that shuts the whole world down, still causing havoc. What does the word, the word of God say about false prophets? Let me show you this. Jeremiah says in chapter 23, verse 16, this is what the Lord of armies says. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They are deluding you. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the Lord's mouth. And then he goes on to say in verse 28, the prophet who has only a dream should recount the dream, but the one who has my word should speak the word truthfully. For what is straw compared to grain? This is the Lord's declaration. In other words, pay attention here. Is not my word like fire? This is the Lord's declaration. Pay attention here, guys. Is, is my word not like a hammer that pulverizes a rock? Therefore, take note, I'm against the prophets. This is the Lord's declaration. Pay attention. Who steal my words from each other. I'm against the prophets. This is the Lord's declaration who use their own tongues to make a declaration. I'm against those who prophesy false dreams. This is the Lord's declaration. Telling them and leading my people astray with their reckless lies. It was not I who sent or commanded them. They are of no benefit to all of these people. This is the Lord's declaration. Brings us to key point number two. False prophets, they love dreams and they love visions because the Bible is not enough. The Bible is not enough. They have to have more. So be very, very careful of what you're watching on the internet. Back to our text here. The picture here is that Jesus is telling his disciples to act like soldiers, to beware, to stand their post. Because if they don't, they are in danger of being misled spiritually. Now, I want you to think about that. We're talking about the disciples. We're talking about the guys who sat at Jesus' feet. Wow. 
And if they're in danger of being misled, how much more are we? Dear friends, we too, we have to stand our post. We have to be very discerning. Verse 6, many will come in my name saying, I'm he. And they will, they will deceive many. They will do it. So notice what Jesus did here. He doesn't give the disciples a sign. He gives them false signs. That's what he does. He's, he gives them false signs for people who will say that they are indeed Christ. Jesus is saying, all right, guys, beware of the Jim Joneses, the Charles Mansons, and the David Koreshes. Did these, did these men deceive many? Yes, they did. And there are more many of those guys coming. Jesus says they're going to come in my name or literally upon my name. They're going to base their claims on the authority of Jesus's name. These men, they're going to claim the title for the Messiah themselves. They're going to say that I am Jesus Christ, the Messiah. This idea of deception, it really comes from people's emotions. The false teachers, they're going to trap people in their enthusiasm. And we've talked a lot about that over the past year. And they will be successful to a point. And here's the deal. It's their success that makes them dangerous. Everybody's going to look at these guys and go, look how successful the ministry is. Key point number three. Some of the greatest threats to the church don't come from outside the church, but inside. Some of the greatest threats to the church don't come from the outside. They come from the inside. So these men, they're going to have some kind of power. They're going to have some type of street cred or religious credentials. Um, and they're going to deceive many who are that they are the Christ. Now, I want you to pause here for one second. I want you guys to know that I have a new appreciation for being an under-shepherd here at River. Um, over the past 18 months, I really learned firsthand what it takes to keep the wolves away. Uh, this biblical concept of protecting the sheep, it's, it's a lot more significant, and it's a bigger part of the pastorate than I thought it was three years ago when I was commissioned here. So I'm grateful that the Lord has, has provided a membership structure that takes a lot of time and there's a lot of work to it to become a member of river and believe it or not we've got COVID to thank for that a lot of them moving on verse 7 when you hear of wars and rumors of wars don't 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 be alarmed these things must take place but it is not yet the end Amen. so Jesus says that wars must happen they must have. All right, two things on this. Number one, God allows wars because they are a part of his divine plan. Now, I know that's a really painful pill to swallow. Number two, we are not to use wars as some kind of proof text that the end is near. We're not to do that either. Just this week. Taliban, Afghanistan, Afghanistan, Taliban. Who's scared? Who's freaking out? Is this the end? Jesus says, wars, rumors of wars. Guys, I've said it a million times since I've been here. 
You start getting scared, your anxiety starts to rise a little bit because you're watching too much news, you're on the internet too much, you're, you're, talk, you're watching all the talking heads. Please, by God's grace, turn that mess off and open your Bible for some peace. Amen. Please continue to do that. Now, it's not so much that God has preordained wars to happen, but rather wars, they're just an inevitable consequence of our own human depravity. Jesus says these things must take place. Jesus is telling the disciples, look guys, none of this stuff is outside of God's control. Some really horrible things are happening right now. God is still on the throne. Wars, rumors of wars, hatred for one another, that's all the result of sin. James chapter 4, verse 1, what is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder and you covet and you still cannot obtain, so you fight and you wage war. We war with one another because they don't look like us and they don't talk like us and they don't believe like us. And because of that, they must go. It's all sin. Verse eight, Jesus continues. He says, for nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There's gonna be famines. And these are the beginning of the birth pains. Has there ever been a time when a nation wasn't warring with another nation? And then at the same time, we've got earthquakes and famines and, and other natural disasters that are always happening in the world. So Jesus identifies all these tragedies as the beginning of the birth pains. So for you mothers, you didn't know how long that you would be in labor. You had no idea how intense that pain would be. And Jesus is saying something similar here. The the suffering only marks the beginning of what's getting ready to happen. So in other words, these things are going to happen over a long period of time. In the Old Testament, birth pains, that was a sign of divine judgment. And that's precisely what we're seeing here as well. In verse 9, Jesus goes on. He says, but you... You be on guard. They're going to hand you over to the local courts and you will be flogged in the synagogues. You will stand before the governors and the kings all because of me as a witness to them. Now, can you imagine as a disciple sitting and listening to Jesus say all this? Jesus is saying, look, guys, they're going to, they're going to fillet your back because of me. Jesus does change his his tone here in verse 9 there. The previous warnings, they're for everyone, but here, this warning is specifically to his disciples. So in other words, Jesus is saying, you guys, you don't worry about all that other stuff I just told you about. You be on guard. Beware, beware, beware. Watch yourself. Jesus says they're going to hand you over. He's referring to betrayal there. In less than 24 hours from now, Judas is going to betray Jesus. So verse 9 is all about persecution. It's about mistreatment. It's about the abuse of the 12 apostles. And yet, once again, this principle still holds true for us today as well. Key point number four, 
Sharing the gospel is more important than your personal safety. Sharing the gospel is more important than your personal safety. And you think, uh, I don't like that at all. <laughs> I know, I don't like it all. I don't like it at all either. But read verse 9 again. Jesus says, you will. It's inevitable, you will. See, the church's primary task, whether you live in Cottonwood or Afghanistan, is to share the gospel. Preserving your life was not the point then, and it's not the point now. Did I mention that Mark chapter 13 is one of the most disturbing chapters in Mark's gospel? Verse 9, you will stand before governors and kings because of me as a witness to them. So lastly, notice here that persecution is an opportunity to share the gospel. Why is that? Key point number five, because your suffering is not about you. Your suffering is not about you. It has a divine purpose. So in other words, your suffering for the gospel, it serves a greater purpose for the kingdom of God. Why is that? Verse 10, because it is necessary that the gospel be preached to all the nations. Have you noticed that the more the church is persecuted, the faster the gospel spreads? Yeah. Yeah. We read about it in the book of Acts in the first century. Today we see it in the, uh, the underground church in China. We are called to be a witness to all the nations. Why? Because God has decreed it. So Jesus is saying, you know what, guys, instead of looking for signs at the end of the world, instead of making all those, those fancy graphs and those charts and those PowerPoints with all those cool dates on it, you need to get busy sharing the three circles yes, sir. in the Verde Valley. You know, I like how I just slid that on yeah. in there. <laughs> you guys didn't appreciate that. I, I, I thought that was pretty clever. Thank you. I can always count on my bride, whether you guys like the message or not. Verse 11, so when they arrest you, not if, when, when they arrest you, and when they hand you over, don't worry beforehand what you will say, but say whatever is given to you at that time, for it is, it's not you speaking, it's the Holy Spirit. So unfortunately, this verse 11 has been taken out of context many, many times, specifically when it comes to teaching and preaching. Jesus is not speaking to preachers here about their, their sermon prep. He's not talking about Bible study leaders just showing up and saying whatever's on your mind. That's not the context of this verse. And dear friends, that is dangerous, really dangerous. The correct context here is a Christian speaking to national leaders. So Jesus offers full assurance that the Holy Spirit will speak through the believer to the national leader. He goes on, in verse 12, Jesus says, brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and will have them put to death. Just awful. It's terrifying. Persecution will even tear apart families. 
commitment that the gospel demands, it will, it can disrupt even the most sacred family relationships. It's a very true reality. We see that several times throughout the, the gospels. And then verse 13, you will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So Jesus says, you're gonna be hated by everyone. He just, he means people in general. Uh, and, and guys, this includes people in the church. You're gonna be hated by people who say they're Christians who are not. In fact, these people will actually persecute true Christians when the heat is on. This kind of hatred that Jesus is talking about, this is, this is an ongoing hatred for believers. He says the one who endures to the end will be saved. That word saved there is sozo. And it, it means to be delivered. Jesus is not saying that your endurance based on your own works saves you. He's not saying that. This is not works-based salvation. The idea is this, is that your endurance proves that you are who you say you are. James chapter one, verse 12, blessed is the one who endures the trials. Why? Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So key point number six, Endurance is a key characteristic of the Christian life. Endurance is a key characteristic of the Christian life. So in other words, those who suffer well, when they persevere, when they demonstrate, they, they prove something. They, true that they, they prove that they are true believers. Notice that we said here they suffer well. This is not about suffering perfectly. There's no such thing as perfection with your walk with Jesus. And because they are true believers, they have been saved, and they are being saved, and they will be saved. So on the other hand, it's a double-sided coin, isn't it? On the other hand, those who fall away during this persecution, it reveals something. It reveals that they were never true believers in the first place. So... I told you it was going to be a heavy message. Y'all still with me? Yeah, yeah amen. All right. So how does, how does this message from Jesus, how, how does the destruction of the temple, how does the persecution from the disciples, how does that impact you today? Well, let me give you a couple things here to apply to your life. Number one, beware of false teachers. Be on the lookout for people who use these the, the latest headlines as signs for the end of the world. There have always been false teachers. There will always be false teachers. And you must recognize what's going on around you guys. I emphasize this time and time again because some of you may be watching some of these false teachers on the internet or at home and not know that they're false teachers. So please pray for discernment. You must continue to read the word of God by the spirit of God so that you can experience God day by day. And by doing, smoke, by doing so, you can smell the wrath. <laughs> the Holy Spirit will tell you something's not right here. 
This guy looks good, but something's not right. You gotta call a spade a spade. So beware of the misuse and the spiritual abuse of these false teachers, especially when it comes to signs, especially when it comes to prophecies. Number two, sharing the gospel will be met with persecution. And when it does, be ready. Now, we talked a lot about this in our Three Circles evangelism class several months ago, and we discussed how many people in the church, not just our church, many people in the church, they refuse to share their faith because they're scared. They don't want any kickback. We think we won't have all the answers. Well, dear friends, by God's grace, we do live in one of the safest countries in the world. By his grace, we live in one of the safest cities in the world. We are blessed beyond measure. We have it so much better than we deserve here in the Birdie Valley. And I just want to leave you with this this morning. Please don't take what God has given you for granted. He has given you a gift, a very, very special gift, specifically for the spreading of the gospel. And I want to cheer you on. I, I want to, the church wants to come alongside of you and develop that gift, whatever that gift is. And that leads me to the last takeaway here. Evangelism has been and will always be the priority of the, true, of the true church. Evangelism has always been and will always be the priority of a true church. If a church is not sharing the gospel, it's a club. Last thing Jesus told Peter in the Gospel of John, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. The last thing Jesus told his disciples in Mark's gospel, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. And the most famous is in Matthew's gospel, the Great Commission, right? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And because of that, I want you to go make disciples. I want you to share this news. And then I want you to baptize them in the, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything that I've, I've taught you and commanded you. And here we go. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, remember, I'm with you always. This is going to be really, really important. As, uh, as we move towards next Sunday, Jesus' presence throughout the Great Tribulation, it's going to be scary stuff. But Jesus says, remember, I'm with you always. I'm with you with every breath. I'm with you when you're happy. I'm, I'm with you when you're scared, terrified. I'm with you. Father in heaven, you have given us a, a weighty text today. And I guess if I had my option, I would have skipped over chapter 13 altogether. But Lord, you don't allow us to do that. You, you want to teach us what is getting ready to happen. You want to prepare us for the false teachers and, and these signs and the persecution that is coming. And Lord, 
we do thank you for your promise that you are with us always. Lord God, we love you. Thank you for forgiving us of our sin, for rescuing us from our wretched souls, for giving us uh, your, your purity and your perfection and uh, that we are at peace with you. And now, Lord God, as we get ready to go back out into the world, I pray that we don't miss those God intersections and those divine appointments, that we are a true church, that we will share the gospel. And as the headlines rage, wars and the rumors of wars, Lord God, that you've given all of us the answer to all of those concerns. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.